Welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Thank you for joining us today as we continue on with our series, When Jesus Comes to Church. Today we address the church at Philadelphia. If you have your scriptures, I would love for you to look at them. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from that hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity and the time that you've given us to look within this passage of Scripture to the church at Philadelphia church with an open door and help us to not only understand the context of what Jesus was saying to them but also the lessons that we need to know individually and as the body of Christ so this morning help us to hear what your spirit says and father to put it into action in the name of Jesus we pray amen Alexander Graham Bell one time said when one door closes, another opens, but we often look so long, so regrettedly upon the closed door that we do not see the open one for us. I think that can be true for many people. Sometimes when life throws us a curve, when a door closes, a job finishes, there's sickness, uh, there's financial setbacks, when things happen to us and a door closes, sometimes we just automatically focus on what is closed and don't look for what God has for us in the days ahead. What God has for us are times of hope and encouragement. And that's what we have right here as we look at the church with an open door, the church at Philadelphia. The name Philadelphia dates back to 159 B.C. It means brother, lover, or brotherly love. The city derived its name from its founder, Attalus II, who was surnamed Philadelphia because of his love for his brother, Eumenes. Philadelphia was a border city. Therefore, it became a center for spreading Hellenistic culture, that is the Greek culture, including the Greek language, the Greek customs. It was known for its temples, its vineyards, its, custoga, its festivals, and also it was nicknamed Little Athens. 
It was destroyed by an earthquake in A.D. 17. And afterward, many of the citizens decided to just live around the city and not in the city because they were afraid of another earthquake. After being rebuilt by the emperor Tiberius, the city adopted a new name called New Caesarea in honor of the emperor, but later dropped it to assume that old name, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. As the city was the center of spreading Hellenism, that is the Greek culture, the church at Philadelphia was given the opportunity to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the heathen pagan world. Jesus comes to this church, and there are a few things that he has to say. First, we find that Jesus identifies himself to the church. In verse 7, he says, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Here we find that he first and foremost identifies his character. He said to him who is holy and true. He's speaking about himself. He is holy and true. As we reflect back, we find that this identified him with the covenant God of the Old Testament. God said in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 25, To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Mark chapter 1 and verse 24, the evil spirit said to Jesus, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. Even Simon Peter in John chapter 6 verse 69 said to Jesus, We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Through the Old Testament and New Testament, and Jesus coming to the church of Philadelphia draws on that, that understanding that he is the Holy One. He is the Creator God. And not only is Jesus the Holy One, but he's also the True One. These two terms are combined once again in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10. When the scripture says, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth? Those two words coupled together give an incredible understanding of the character of Jesus. Holy and true. That term true carries with it the meaning of genuine to refute those Jews of Philadelphia who claimed that Jesus was a false messiah. It also denotes faithful to remind the believers here at Philadelphia that the Messiah, that Jesus, will not only carry out his messianic ministry and task, but he will also be counted on to follow through with it to its completion. In other words, they can follow him with confidence to know that what he says is genuine, faithful, and true. He is the holy and true one. Here we find that Jesus is the sovereign God who is true, who is genuine, faithful, set apart, and able to complete his task. That's his character. And Jesus says, I'm that person who is speaking to you. Secondly, he identifies his position, who holds the key of David. This indicates that he has complete control over the royal household. He has undisputed authority, the absolute power to control entrance to the kingdom of heaven. Reflect back on Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22. God says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Here we find his position is the man, the God, 
the creator who has the key with absolute authority. Third, he identifies his administration. Focus again on the phrase in verse 7, what he opens no one can shut and what he shuts no one can open. It's reflective again of Isaiah 22, 22. But it tells us that he has the administration, he has the authority, he has the full privilege to open as he sees fit and no one can hinder him. No one. It is not a democracy. But he is the one who is in complete control. That's his administration and authority. In the context, opening and closing seem to indicate the opportunity or the lack of opportunity. In essence, he can open the door of opportunity or he can close it. It's under his control. No matter what we think, he is the one that is in control. It identifies his administration. I think a good example of God shutting the door and no one being able to open it is in reference to the ark. In Genesis chapter 7 and verse 16, the middle section, it says, Then the Lord shut him in, talking about Noah. It had come time for the flood to come. And the Bible says that, that Noah and his family, all the animals were on the ark, and that God shut the door. <laughs> What's reflective about that is that when it was over and Noah left the ark, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 13, Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. Why did he do that? Why would he remove the covering instead of just opening the door? The reason is because when God shuts a door, no one can open it, not even Noah. The one who is speaking to the church identifies his character, his position, and his administration. By his authority, after the door is open, no one can close it. Therefore, salvation is assured. But once it is closed, no one can open it, and judgment is certain. It is this one who possesses the key of David who is addressing the church. He wants them to understand this is Jesus the holy and true one, the one who has all authority, the one who has authority to open the door of salvation and opportunity, and also has the authority to close it. Next, we find that Jesus commends this church. He said, I know your deeds. You'll find that only good is spoken about the church. There is no condemnation unlike five other churches of Asia Minor of whom Jesus had something against. Here he commends them and their desire to serve. He said, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. The Lord knows the church's work. And he's setting before them an open door of opportunity, opportunity to accomplish the missionary service that no one can close. I don't care what authority it is, whether it be the emperor of the Roman Empire or any other authority, when God opens that door to accomplish ministry and mission and salvation and communicating the gospel, there's no one who can stop it. 
He's also giving the church an open right of way to full spiritual enjoyment of gathering together and celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ and the opportunity for service. And that's what he desires, both for us to be edified and encouraged and to grow, but also to focus in on service. Some people say, well, I can worship God at home. Yes, you can, but you can't worship him with the body of Christ. I can serve God in my own way, but God through the church, as the scripture throughout the New Testament says, you are to serve the Lord. It's not just about the cognitive information that you get when you study the Bible. It's about how it changes your heart and your passion, and that passion catapults you into the love and the desire and the concern of touching the lives of others. Jesus opens that opportunity. Paul used the same metaphor in the same way when he wrote to the church at Corinth of his plans to stay in Ephesus, quote, until uh, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians, as you see, also has that same illusion that God has opened a wide door as God opens that door, we must go through it and we must accomplish what he has called us to do before that door closes. Because of Philadelphia's uh, geographic position as the keeper of the gateway to the plateau, it had been given the unique opportunity to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout that whole region. Instead of spreading Greek culture like Philadelphia was, the church had the great opportunity of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were to be willing, and they had a desire to serve Christ in that way. They wanted to, even though they were few in number, they desired to make sure they were faithful. Despite opposition, no person, no group would be able to cancel that opportunity. And Jesus commends them for that desire to serve and says, I've opened that door. No one can close it. Continue to work through it and to accomplish it. And my friends, the same opportunity is before us right here at First Baptist Church, Sun City West. The door of opportunity is open to us. No one can close it, but we must be effective and have a desire and faithful to go through that door to touch the lives of many, both by spreading the gospel of Christ and by our compassionate care. Not only did he commend the church of Philadelphia for their desire to serve, but he commends them for their faithfulness. He said, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The expression, you have little strength, it suggests that the church was few in number. They didn't have a lot of members, yet they who were the faithful few, they were willing to serve. The greatest opposition, obviously, was from the unbelieving Jews described in this passage as the synagogue of Satan. Because these who were unbelieving Jews even tried to say that Jesus was a false messiah, because they refused to accept Jesus Christ and they opposed his cause, these Jews were not true Jews as Jesus and the Apostle Paul had taught. Those that turn their back on the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah and as Savior, they do not have a relationship with him. Jesus calls them here the synagogue of Satan. In the midst of this difficult opposition, the church had kept its faith and had not denied even the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when they were few in number, they remained steadfast strong, vocal, 
willing. And Jesus commended them. The third thing that we see in this passage is Jesus' promise to the church. He promises complete vindication. Because of their loyalty under both weakness and difficulty, the Lord promises the church in Philadelphia vindication. He will make those Jews who are persecuting them and doing Satan's work to realize that these despised Christians were in fact ones that he really loved. They were his own. They would come to have to understand and to acknowledge that. That recognition was to happen either in their lifetime or the promise may await fulfillment until that final day of judgment. But Jesus said they will acknowledge that. In fact, they will fall to your feet, Jesus says. The ultimate vindication will be at the end of time. And the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. My friends, do not give up. Even when you are persecuted, when you're ridiculed, when you're rejected, when you are few in number, or even by yourself, do not give up. You will be vindicated because you are fulfilling the desire and the command of the creator of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. He promises complete vindication. Secondly, he promises his sustaining grace. He said, I will keep you from that hour of trial. Because they had been faithful, he promises his sustaining grace in the tribulation that is going to engulf the world, but it will not overcome them. I don't know if that is the tribulation that so many talk about, but there is going to be a tribulation. He said, listen, the church of Philadelphia, things are going to change. It's going to be a radical difference. And there's going to be a wave of persecution that comes. But I want you to understand that it will not overcome you. The believers of Philadelphia had patiently kept the commands of Jesus. No matter what was said, no matter what storms came, no matter how much persecution was cast upon them, patiently they endured. And Jesus promised, I will take care of you. I believe, folks, that no matter what comes our way, that we need to be assured of the promise that Jesus gives us, that those difficult times and those storms will come, but he promises, I will take care of you to encourage them. He said, I am coming soon. Some say, well, shouldn't he have come then? Some say, well, yes, he's coming, and it's, uh, it's sooner now than it was before. But reflect back on 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Scripture says, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as is one day. When Jesus says he's coming soon, he's on heaven's time. And at the right time, he will come. And it always should be something that gives us hope and understanding because his coming soon might be that second coming or it might be our point of death and he will be there to take us to our special place. He's reserved just for us, but we trust in his timing. Jesus said, in the midst of trials, be of good cheer. I'm coming, I'm coming for you. 
he says. Until then, hold on. Hold on to his name. Hold on to his word. Hold on to his patience. Hold on to his promise to return. Hold on to his opportunity for service while the, the door is open. Hold on. No matter what comes against you, hold on. Because he is coming with the Father's reward. Sardis had been threatened by his coming. But the church in Philadelphia, because she had been faithful and had nothing to fear, was encouraged by his commitment that he was coming and coming soon. Christians have differing gifts, abilities, experience, and maturity. God doesn't expect us to all do the same thing or all be the same. What he does expect us to do is to hold on, to hold on to what we have to hold on to his word, to persevere in using our gifts and our resources for him while the door is open and while he has left us here for ministry. Use what you have to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and God will commend you. I want to reflect back on 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Paul tells this young pastor, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul says, not only, not only for him, but for all of those who know he's coming soon and have persevered and have held on, who've fought the good fight, who've finished the race successfully, they've kept the faith no matter what, he says, he's got us taken care of, but we must hold on. Third, we find he promises them a place of importance. The scripture here in this passage says, He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. As the readers who were reading this letter well understood, pillars are those essential parts of the temple that kept them from collapsing. You had to have the pillars Unlike material pillars, believers are the spiritual pillars in God's spiritual temple in which he is in the process of building right now. Because of the faithfulness, Christ said, I will make the faithful an important part of this sanctuary, this spiritual temple. I want you to understand that those who overcome will be some of those spiritual pillars in the temple of my God, and you will never leave it. Philadelphia was true and experienced the fulfillment of his promise, and I think it would be advantageous for us to follow their example, to be faithful no matter what comes, because God has a very special, important place for you in his eternity. Fourth, he promises them perfect security. He said, never again will he leave it. 
I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. Here Jesus eliminates any thought of the loss of salvation when he said, never again will he leave it. He's talking about the spiritual temple. Eternal security. The person that has given their life to Christ, who has been faithful and obedient. There's a genuineness about his relationship, his personal relationship with Christ. He says, listen, you will always, always have that spiritual temple. Rather, we find that he also states that promise of perfected eternal security. And that promise is even defined to a greater degree because Jesus refers to both the divine ownership and protection for every new believer. The name of God, he says, is basically branded on the believer. And the name of the city of God is there as a mark of his place of destination. And the name of the triumphant Christ is upon every single believer. Those three things ought to make us shout hallelujah. Many of the pagan religions use these brands or marks to identify their followers. Even the state religion of Rome had that kind of custom. Jesus here symbolizes the relation of his followers to himself by speaking about that new name branded upon them. This is probably the most glorious promise given to any of the seven churches. And it's given to the church at Philadelphia. And my friends, this same promise is given to each of us in this church, First Baptist Church, Sun City West, because of our faithfulness to the Lord. He says, I want you to understand you're going to have perfect security in eternity, a spiritual pillar in the spiritual temple that I'm building. And on you, I will have God's name, I will have the new Jerusalem branded upon you and the new name of the triumphant Christ. And because of that, you have eternity with me. It's not because of what we've done. It's not because of our actions. It's because we have been faithful. And he has rewarded us, all believers, with these things. Like the church at Philadelphia, First Baptist Church has an open door of opportunity of service to God. We see what he's promised, and I promise you that these promises will be our promises too as we are faithful to him. He has placed us probably in one of the most uh, difficult and yet greatest opportunity of a place to share the gospel of Jesus Christ here in Sun City West and our surrounding area. Let me tell you, we may see some of the greatest spiritual workings if we focus our attention upon those that he has planted before us. The senior adults of this community and the surrounding area, at this stage of their life, it is not easy to win them for, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, 
He has given us the open door of opportunity, and he's going to keep that door open as long as we're faithful. And so we must be faithful to share the gospel wherever we go. We must be faithful to touch the lives of others where their point of need is with compassionate care, to bring them to an understanding that we are true believers of Jesus Christ and not just in name only. We need to have a great impact in our community for the cause of Christ. But to do so, we must abide in his presence and we must obey his word through action. The church in Philadelphia, even though they were small, they were making an impact because God had the door open. Jesus said, I will not close it right now. And that same opportunity is for us today. And I wonder this morning, would you be willing to commit yourself First, if you don't know Jesus Christ, ask him to be your savior. Secondly, if you are a believer in Christ, are you willing to be like the church at Philadelphia that he commended? Even though they were small, and even though they were persecuted and ridiculed, faced opposition, they were faithful, they were patient, they were vocal, they stood firm in their faithfulness, both in deed and, and also in the study of his word and the communication of the gospel. Are you willing to commit yourself even more readily, deeply? Because if you do, the promises that he gives are guaranteed. Father, as we come to our time of invitation, I ask that you would help us to make the decisions that are right and proper. As Jesus said in this passage, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Meaning, Let's not just look at the church of Philadelphia or look at other believers or say, you know what, I think I'm okay. But help us to reflect upon how Jesus commended these believers, even though they weren't part of a large mega church, even though they had great opposition and turmoil and trouble from outside, from those unbelieving, from ridicule and persecution. He said, you'll be vindicated. He said, I will take care of you. I will give you hope because I'm coming soon. In fact, even more, you have an eternal security with me. But I want you to be faithful and true because the door will not always be open. And so I pray that we'll commit ourselves, both on the folks that are watching this in their homes and those that are hearing what God says and this morning will make the commitment to say, I'm going to be faithful regardless of the cost. These commitments are ours to you, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.